You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Oh, amen. It's so good. Uh, we believe that. We believe that here at First Baptist Jinx that Jesus changes everything. So glad you are here, church family. We're in Luke 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 5. If you are a guest with us, we're glad that you're here as well. Uh, make sure to fill out that Connect card. If you're watching online, glad that you are tuning in. We are just studying through the book of Luke. And right now, that brings us in a, in a series inside of Luke called Jesus Changes Everything. So as you turn to Luke 5, I want you to consider this question. What does it take for Jesus to change everything? It's easy to sing and easy to say. But what does it really mean or what does it look like when Jesus interrupts someone's life, stops them in what they're doing, and reorients everything about their life to him and the life that he has planned for them. What, what does it take for that to happen? Some of you know because it happened in your life. You've seen him do it for you. Some of you haven't experienced it yet, but today we get to watch him do this for a man named Simon in Luke chapter 5. We pick up where we left off, the end of 44, or verse uh, Chapter 4, 44, says he, this is Jesus, was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. So this is the way he's spending his time. And then Luke says, but there's this one specific day I want to draw attention to that he's not in a synagogue. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1 says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So we're not in a synagogue, we're at a lake now. So this is our setting for today is the uh, Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret. I want to show you where this is. So if you just look at the screen behind me, uh, you're going to see that uh, this is us here at First Baptist Jinx on one side of the world, and we have to get to the other end of the world to find it, and, which is great because we know that at the other end of the world is where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which means they made it, right? We're here today because of that. So we travel the globe, we get to the other side where uh, we are going to zoom in on what is Israel, and uh, this time was under Roman rule, and there the northern part of Israel, you're going to see this lake. It's eight miles by 14 miles, and on the northern portion, you have the town of Capernaum, and it's here in this kind of fertile area that a lot of this takes place. When we read about the Sea of Galilee, this is the space, and that's the size of the lake that you've got to process where this is happening. So it's there that Jesus finds his heels on the back of the water and people are pressing in on him. Verse 2 says, He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Here's the first place we see Jesus change something. He's going to change a boat into a pulpit. Right? He, I just love this. He just gets into his boat. Can you imagine, like, Simon's over here with his fisher buddies, and they're cleaning the nets, and one of them elbows him, and they're like, you're not going to believe this. What is he like? There's somebody in your boat. Simon's like, excuse me, what? Now, for us to process, imagine where you work. Imagine where you spend maybe most of your time. If you're a student, think about, like, your desk or your locker, or if, you know, uh, you're retired, I like your, I don't know, favorite, like, garden or chair. I don't know how that works yet. But like wherever you work, like if, if you're in an office and you walk in, maybe you work on your laptop a lot and Jesus suddenly has your laptop and you're like, time out, what? And he's like, I just need to borrow this for a minute. You're like, what, what, are, you, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? That's mine, <laughs> right? Th that's what Simon's feeling. 
The same guy who was in his house all night long healing all the sick people in his town is now taking over his boat. His house was one thing, but this is his boat. And now he looks and Jesus is in it. And it's really funny because I can imagine him thinking like, Jesus, that is not a pulpit. That is not a platform. That is my boat for fishing. And Jesus looks at him like, is it though? You might see a spot for your work and what you want. I see a place where I can accomplish my mission. Jesus does for him what he still does for us. He changes where we work to where he works. There's no part of Simon's life that is off limits from God at this point. Jesus is just showing up everywhere and he has to deal with this constant interruption of Jesus in his life. So uh, he teaches, good news. What does he do after he teaches? Verse four, he'd finished speaking and he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now we're getting to the heart of it. It's one thing for him to use his workplace for a little bit of gospel work. Now Jesus is telling him how to do his job. Now, this, the way you hear the request from Jesus depends on what you think about Jesus. Consider for a second. Simon, it's one thing, he's reparked his boat and just let him teach. Now it's like, good, sermon's over, he can get out of my boat, I can go back to life. And he's like, let's go fishing for a little bit. And Simon's like, oh, okay. Traveling preacher, son of a carpenter from Nazareth, which doesn't have a lake. I'm sure you know so much about fishing. And he's got to decide. Like, Jesus may know a lot about spiritual stuff, but, but this is my space. Or Zanga or Facebook, whatever. This is, this is my arena where I get to do what I want and you live over here. If Jesus is just a teacher, if he's just someone that inspires you to be better, if he's just like your golden ticket, if he's just that, then the answer is, hey, Jesus, I know you know some of that, but this space, I know better. You are out of your depths. Do you get it? <laughs> out of your depths, this is the vote. You're welcome. He's like, no, not over here. But, so that's if he's a teacher. If Jesus is God, there's no area of your life that's off limits. If Jesus is king, it doesn't matter what avenue of your life, your work, your play, your leisure, your private life, it all belongs to him and he knows about it better than you do. So how is Peter going to handle this? Who is Jesus to Peter? By the way, uh, I say Simon. This is Simon Peter. I'm going to mix him up a lot. <laughs> so if I say Simon or Peter, we're talking about the same dude. All right. How does Simon respond? Verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. This is a beautiful answer to Jesus' request. He says, Master, which means, hey, I respect you. Right? You're a teacher. You, you know some stuff. You may not know this. We've already tried. We worked all night. It doesn't say fished. It says toiled. We exhausted ourselves all night doing our job. By the way, Jesus, nighttime is when you fish, not the middle of the day. In case you were wondering, like, we've already done the work, and look what we took home. Nothing. I can relate to this. This feels really familiar Right to so here, Jesus prompt you with something or teach you something or bring you someone your word and say, Jesus, I've already tried that. Anybody been there? 
I hear a message to forgive. Yeah, I already forgave them and it didn't change them. I already gave and my financial situation didn't get any better. Jesus, I... I already prayed and my prayer didn't get answered. I already went to church. My life didn't get better. I didn't find friends. I already did what you've told me to do and I didn't get what I wanted out of it. It sounds familiar. I've been there in my own soul. Praise God, Simon doesn't stop right there. Right? Because not only is Jesus changing where Simon thought he worked to where Jesus is working. Now he's changing how he ends sentences. Jesus changes the end of the sentence. He could have stopped right here and just said, I've already tried and it didn't work. Instead of a period, he puts a comma. It's a great lesson for us not to put a period at the end of our pain, but put a comma. We already tried, we got nothing, but there it is. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? It's great. He's not done. We already tried, but at your word, if you said it, we'll do it. I've already, I've already done this, but if you're telling me to do it, Jesus, I will do it, which makes sense because when he tried this last time, Jesus wasn't in the boat. And that's what's really funny is sometimes we give all of our responses to God. I've already tried this. We're not condemning God's plan. We're condemning ourselves. I tried this without you in the middle of it, Jesus. I wanted something out of it. I wasn't looking for you. I was trying to get what I wanted. And when I tried this without you, I didn't get what I wanted. But now I wonder what it looks like when I put you in the middle of this and I listen to you. So he says, at your word. And maybe Simon suddenly remembered where he's like, we've already tried. It didn't work. But at your word, the word that got rid of the demon, maybe Simon remembers the word that got rid of the disease of his mother-in-law. It was the word that got rid of all of the suffering inside of his town that night. Maybe he even goes as far as to think, this is the word that separated the land and, this, and the sky. This is the word that filled the earth and the sea. This is the word that Psalm 46, at his word, the, the earth melts at his word. Maybe he was starting to think, this word of power, that word, I will do this. Truth is, it doesn't matter what Simon Peter thinks about Jesus' word. It matters what he does with it. Amen? He can have all kinds of beliefs and thoughts about, oh, yeah, this is good, and your word has a lot of power. It means nothing if he doesn't leave the shore in the boat and go where Jesus told him. I've always wondered if Simon would have explained why the circumstances weren't right to go fishing if he would have missed out on this beautiful place where God was going to meet him. And instead of explaining, verse 6, and when they had done this, really important words, hey, it didn't work last night. We're exhausted. We are failures. Think about who's hearing these words. They'd already gave up, already cleaned the nets, already parked the boats. This is the worst possible time. But if you're telling me, God, to do it, I will cast off again. They leave the shore because faith works, right? A friend of mine, Vic Green, last week, he said, maturity is not what we know, it's what we do. Spiritual maturity isn't about how much we know. You could know all the stuff about God's word and what Jesus says, but it doesn't matter if you don't do anything with it. That's spiritual maturity, which is great because Simon Peter here, he's got a long ways to go, but he's getting the first steps right, isn't he? This is starting to look like faith. Jesus said, do it. I don't know. There's a whole lot he doesn't know yet. 
but he knows if Jesus said it, I'm gonna do it. Start there. If you don't know what to do next in your faith, start there. Find out what Jesus says and, do, and go. So they go. What happens? They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They start to hear the strain of the nets from all of the fish they're gathering. So they signal over to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. You go on to verse nine. It says that he, this is uh, Simon and all who were with him, they were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They're just blown away. This isn't normal. This is astonishing. Jesus has changed the scene. From empty nets to full nets. From the worst timing to perfect timing. Right? From failures from the night before to flourishing. From calm to chaos which is maybe my favorite part of the scene change. Because in our world today, there's kind of this nod of like, where, like where does Jesus do work? He does work like where my coffee's really warm and like by a really pretty window and my Bible's open and my journal's open and there's like a bird singing outside somewhere. <whistles> oh, that's where the Lord meets me. And listen, y'all, sometimes he does. Praise God for that. He's met me there. You wanna know where he meets me most of the time? chaos. It's crazy. It's not what I expected, not what I had planned, not how my day was going to go. Sometimes it's smelly and there's fish flopping around. I wasn't ready for any of it. They, they thought they knew how their day was going to go and suddenly here they are with the biggest catch arguably that they probably ever experienced, definitely the most surprising, and in the middle of that. And so my parents in here, you feel me. So my grandparents, some are singles in this room that you're walking through life and life's suddenly over here and you're like, this isn't what I expected today and I'm just up to my neck in all of it. That's where God's at work because I've been there where I'm going, this isn't what I had planned, this isn't what I thought and suddenly I get a glimpse and I'm like, God's working here. Chaos of this parenting moment and all of this, I realize God's actually drawing my child to him. I realize God's drawing my neighbor to him. God's drawing my coworker. God's drawing that person that I see every week in the regular rhythm of my life. God's gathering them to him in the middle of all the surprises and interruptions and chaos of my life. I look up and God is actually working. It's not calm. It's not expected. It's powerful though. And that's exactly what happens here. Simon catches a glimpse of it. He suddenly realizes this day is not about catching fish, it's about catching men. He looks up, verse eight, when Simon Peter saw it, the boats are sinking under the weight of God's provision. By the way, this is what we call a gift miracle. We saw deliverance miracles. God removes disease, God removes a demon, but God doesn't just remove things, God gives things. And here he is giving abundantly a gift to Simon. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Honestly, it's not the response I would expect. A fisherman just had the greatest catch of his life. I would expect him to be like, you are my new fishing partner. We're gonna print shirts and rebrand. Woo, that's what I would expect. Not Simon, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of this great moment, in the middle of the dream come true. God's at work. 
They're struggling and they're straining. You know, they actually had to call in help, right? They'd wave others because whenever you have a God-sized task, you can't do it alone. No one can. By the way, that's, that's why we don't, it's not, we're not waving the flag for First Baptist Jinx. We're waving the flag for the church. We partner with other churches. Why? Because God-sized tasks can't be done alone, so we pray for them. We support them. We send for them. We partner to, to plant other churches and encourage them. It's why we partner with Isaiah 58 for our friends experiencing homelessness and poverty and, and hope is alive for our friends experiencing addiction. And we partner with all these other ministries, CarePoint, where our displaced families and our single income and our fixed income families who maybe are hitting a struggle point, like just need help, we can do more together. The work of God is too big for any one person to do alone, and so we partner. And if I said something that you're like, I want to be a part of that, you can talk to Jamie, our missions pastor. He can tell you how to get connected with, with those places, okay? But that's what they do. They call for help. They're all doing it. They look up. Where's Simon? He's at the knees of Jesus. That's where you find him. What a stunning place to be in the middle of the best thing that's ever happened in his life. High career point. And he's saying, depart from me. That's an odd thing to say. Why would, you, why would he say, depart from me? Um, maybe this will help. Have you ever had someone show up to your house unannounced? If they're in the room, don't look at them. Have you ever had somebody show up unannounced? Maybe it's laundry day. You know, even where, and you're like, oh no. I don't know what's going on back behind that door. But what you know is you're like, I, I would have made my mess look a lot different. If I knew that you were coming. If I come to your house and it's clean, I don't think you live like that. Just letting you know, right? Like, we, we did the hospitality thing. I want to clean up a little bit. It's funny how much mess we can actually, like, live with. And I say that, that hits on different levels. Uh, you know, like, I'm not going to ask you to confess right here if you're a one and you're like, Cody, when I get home, my shoes are going side by side in the place that they came from whenever I left this morning. Or if you're a five and you're like, when I get home, my shoes might still be in the car. That's fine. Find them the next time I need them, right? Um, like, I, I don't know where you fall on that, but there's a level of, like, kind of chaos and mess that a lot of us just get comfortable with until somebody shows up, right? Until suddenly somebody walks in and you're like, whoa. Like, I mean, I was okay with this, but if you're going to stare at it, that's what just happened to Simon. He thought he was fishing, he realized God is in his midst because when we see God's holiness, it reveals our sinfulness. And that's not bad. Okay, if you're like, oh, Cody, that sounds bad. I don't want to be exposed. No, you do. Because when Jesus shows up and you realize the mess you're living in, he is saying, now you can see it. And now you can see you don't have to live like this. Now you can't unsee it. That just happened to Simon. Depart from me. And I don't know what he was afraid of. Maybe he was afraid of shaming Jesus, right? Like, Jesus, they're going to associate me with you, and I, I know what I am. I, I'm, I don't want people to associate the two of us. You're better than I am. Maybe he was afraid of what Jesus was going to ask him to do, what Jesus was going to ask him to give up. I mean, he just showed him, hey, your greatest career success never had anything to do with you, right? Jesus could have let him have this catch the night before. What would have happened the night before? We're the greatest fishermen ever. They would have written a song about it. It would have been great. Instead, they fail the night before. They catch it at the wrong time, the wrong place. So only Jesus gets the attention. And in that moment, Peter knows 
Every catch I've ever had has been because of him. He's the one that provides every good thing, and I can't find any other way around it. His life is wrecked in the best of ways. Depart from me, because I'm sinful. And that's where we see that Jesus changes sinners. That's what Jesus came to do. He shows up because Jesus changes sinners. He knew about your mess before you knew about your mess, and he came into your mess anyway. That's great news. He's not surprised by it. He's not thrown by it. He steps right into the middle of it and changes sinners first by changing sinners' location. That's how he changes them. He changes sinners' location. Yet he has to bring us to this place where we recognize that we have sin in our life. That's, that's the starting line. Simon just got there. Depart from me, for I'm sinful. It can't be like the kid at Falls Creek a few years back. You guys know what Falls Creek is? It's a big church camp that we take our students to. They have a 5K there, and it's miserable. It's just hills. And so uh, you run a 5K, and I'm there. This kid comes back with a 5K shirt, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know you ran the 5K. And he goes, neither did I. I was like, mm, explain. He goes, uh, so, some of the friends were running. And I was like, I'm going to go cheer him on. So like he ran beside him to cheer him on. And then he was like, oh, people are cheering for me. Uh, I guess I'm in this now. And just finished the race. Got a t-shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. The only problem is our spiritual lives don't work that way. You don't get to finish a race that you never started. You can't just join in on being a good person and going to church some and doing some spiritual things. The race starts here. The location God brings you to first is a location that says, I am a sinner in the presence of a holy God. There's no other place to start the race. You have to recognize that. That's not bad. That is where it starts. So everything, hear me, God is either leading you to that place or he's leading you from it. But there at the feet of Jesus, knowing you're a sinner is where Jesus changes everything. He just led Simon there. Changed his location. And how does he respond to Simon's depart from me? He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. We don't know what Simon was afraid of. Maybe he was afraid of the judgment of God, right? The boats are sinking. And he's like, huh, I guess this is it. I'm being judged by God because whenever he taught, I didn't want him. Whenever he healed, I didn't want him. I just wanted more fish. And now I've got my dream. I chased the dream and it's gonna cost me everything. I'm gonna drown chasing the dream because I wouldn't see Jesus when he was right in front of me. And so I am a sinner. Maybe he was afraid of that, but Jesus' words are, don't be afraid. So I just want to say this to everybody in the room. If there's anything in you that, that you're afraid of following Jesus, I'm afraid of what he might ask me to do. I'm afraid of what it might cost me. I'm afraid I'm going to let him down. I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint him. If there's some kind of fear that keeps you from really stepping in and saying, I believe and I trust and I can follow, Jesus says to you, do not be afraid. Whatever fear you would have in following Jesus is unnecessary because he changes sinners. First, by their location. Second, by their vocation. Jesus changes sinners' vocation. He says, Simon, you're still a fisherman. That's your career, but that's not your calling. Your calling isn't going to be to gather fish anymore. Your calling is going to be to gather people. So uh, Daryl Bach, he's uh, the primary commentator that I've been going to for our Luke study uh, just writes two great commentaries on it. He says that that's what fishing for men means. 
to become a fisher of men means that you are a fish that can relate to others what it means to be rescued out of the dangerous waters by God. That's what it means to be a fisher of men. You know what it means to be that fish that's been rescued. And you're going to gather others so they can know it as well. And like A.W. Tozer says, it's not what we do that determines if we are doing sacred or secular work. It's why we do it. So whatever career you're in, whatever job you have, whatever room you find yourself in, whatever work you find yourself doing, student, whatever classrooms you are in, that might be what you're doing. But when Jesus changes your why, it becomes holy work. And it is... It is glorious. And so God is using that. He says, I'm changing your vocation. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Jesus, lastly, changes their direction. Jesus changes sinners by changing their location, gets them to that starting point, and then leads them by changing their vocation. You may have a different job, but your calling is going to be to participate in my work. Let that, by the way, just like try to wrap your head around that. He's like, I don't even deserve to be around you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to involve you in my work. What a gracious and merciful God. And then lastly, changes his direction. They get back and they follow him. The key word is follow. Whenever you see that word, it's going to show up a lot. Following is one of the primary descriptions of our relationship to Jesus, that we follow him. It's a deep-seated word in Jewish history where rabbis would ask disciples to follow them, and that's what it means to be a disciple, to follow someone into a new way of living. That's what a disciple is, someone who's following someone into a new way of life. So when we follow Jesus, we are actually following into a new way of living, And discipleship is not a destination, it's a direction. This is really important for us to understand. Sometimes we can think discipleship is a destination. Like, okay, so once I've arrived, I go to church, and I give, and I volunteer, and I talk better, and I'm nicer. And whatever the lists are that you make up in your mind, this means I've arrived as a believer. But following Jesus, there's no arrival this side of heaven. It's a direction that God is taking you, which means the moment that Simon Peter parks the boat, gets out of it, and walks away from the greatest highlight of his career to follow Jesus, that first step, he's a disciple. Disciples are the ones that are following Jesus, right? I want you to consider that. If you are walking towards Jesus, back to the Vic's statement, it doesn't matter how much you know. Matters what you're doing. And if you, you may not know as much as other people in the room, you might think, Cody, I don't know a whole lot about following Jesus, but I'm moving his way. Welcome to being a disciple. And if you followed him for years, but you got apathetic or lazy or thought you arrived and you've stopped moving towards Jesus, you have stopped being discipled. Doesn't mean you don't belong to Jesus. It just means that you've got to recognize that you stopped. So I wake up every morning and I pray this, this prayer for joy. I pray, Jesus is the J. I'm following you today. Into whatever opportunities, that's the O, whatever opportunities you have set aside for me. And I yield, that's the Y, I yield myself to you and your spirit. Why? Because it doesn't matter what I know. I've got to wake up every day and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you into whatever it is that you have planned for me today. That's where joy is. That's where life is. And that's what's good enough. Listen, it's what's good enough that would cause a group of fishermen 
to park their boats. This is the picture that's been in my mind all week long. And follow this rabbi, this Jesus, with fish-filled boats in the background. Because once you realize the life that Jesus invites you into, the greatest dream you ever had and ever aspired to, and the greatest stories and the greatest recognition and the greatest opportunities have all lost their flavor. It just doesn't mean what it used to mean compared to actually knowing the Lord. That's what it looks like to follow him. That's the invitation. Leave everything and follow him. That's what we're gonna invite you to do. I wanna ask you to stand up. I wanna pray over you. And we're gonna stand so you have space to move, to sing, to worship, or to, to move. We're gonna be right back here at these double doors, uh, several of our pastors, some friends of ours. And if you're like, Cody, that's me. I wanna leave everything and follow him. Do it. Leave your seat, leave your stuff. It'll be there in a minute. And go over here and say, I wanna follow Jesus. He met me today, stopped my life, reoriented me. I need that because I'm chasing all this other stuff. Follow him. That's your move. For those believers in the room, you've already been walking with Jesus. Is there something you need to leave on the beach? Are there things that you've just got distracted and you're hanging on to and you're like, you know what? I need to really follow him again. It's time to leave all of that and come back to him. Make that move today. God, help us follow you. Call us to follow you. Move us towards you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.